Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. I am one of your co-hosts, Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my best friend in the entire world, Tara. Hey, spooksters. And today, we're going to be going back to, I feel like this is like the roots of the show. We used to do prisons a lot. So Mm -hmm. if you know from the title, we are going to be talking about Eastern State Penitentiary, which I was like, I thought we already did this one, but there was like an East State Penitentiary or something we did. We did Moundsville. And then off the top of my head right now, I cannot remember. I'm like under caffeinated today. Sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's got like another name with it. And I think like... Which is like East something. Yeah. So I think these remind me of each other, kind of, you know? So, I mean, they're haunted prisons. Of course they're going to do that to me. Right. (laughs) But before we get into that, let's talk about where you can find us on socials. We are on all the socials. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Tara is way more active on TikTok than I am. She has an amazing TikTok. If you haven't seen it, go. Recently, she was featured in an article about true crime TikToks and her stuff is amazing. So check it out. Our handles for our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are at Three Spooked Girls. You can find both our TikToks in the link tree. We also have this amazing group on Facebook. Our main group, Three Spooked Girls Official, is just true Truly amazing. I love the interactions in there. I love seeing the funny posts that pop up. Some things like make me giggle so hard. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yes. We get some really (laughs) good ones. I steal them all the time for our Instagram. (laughs) I'm like, thanks guys. (laughs) This is perfect. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, we really, we really love it to interact with you guys in there. If you want to just go ahead and make sure you answer the question because that's how we let you in as if you say you agree. Yes. Tara made it easy. All you gotta do is click a button. Yeah. You're just checking a box to be like, yes, I'm not a fucking asshole. The end. (laughs) Pretty much. Again, that group is Three Spooked Girls Official. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls or the link in the link tree. And for little as a dollar, you get a bonus episode each month. We kind of trade off between true crime and paranormal. And then for $2 and up, you get a total of three bonus episodes. You get the all tier and then two Jessica Slaughter's movie reviews and plot lines. And $5 and up patrons get Tara's amazing new Haunted Grounds, which is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you should. It's literally once a month. We do a video content. 
She gives you a haunted or possessed object, and then she tells you about a fantastic caffeinated drink. And with that, we're going to take a short promo break, and we will be back for the drink and the story of the Eastern State Penitentiary. Hey, this is Christy. And this is Beth. And we're Crimes and Closets. We're two gals coming at you from our closets in North Carolina and Missouri. We are moms, best friends, and true crime obsessed. Every Monday, we hide in our closets with our favorite drinks and bring a crime story to you. You can listen to us on all major platforms and connect with us on all social media. And always remember, the world is scary, people suck, hide in your closet. Well, welcome back from that quick promo break. Before we head into the content, I'm going to tell you about this week's drink. Yay! So really, this is like a story, but not going to go into it in too much detail. Basically, there is this old book of the Waldorf Astoria bar books of all the drinks. And there's this drink from the 1800s from a place called the Clover Club that was in Philadelphia. They just call it like the Clover Club, a true classic. I don't know if the drink is called Clover Club, but it doesn't have clovers in it. So assuming it was a place. It's going to have gin, fresh lemon juice, raspberry syrup, super fine sugar, and an egg white. It's one of those like you beat the egg whites and put it on top. Gotcha. You know, I'm not going to try it because I'm scared of those things. Yeah, I was like, I've never done that and I don't foresee that happening. I'm so afraid of those. Like, I, I'm the type of person <laughs> yeah. who'd be like, and I died from it. <laughs> and I died. <laughs> and I'm dead now. My bad, guys. Just <laughs> trying to try something new. Mm. Okay, so we're going to get into our content on the Eastern State Penitentiary. And it's my turn to start because I'm doing Yay. the history and Tara's doing the hauntings. So, just so that you know, it is located at 2027 Fairmont Avenue in Philadelphia, which is in Pennsylvania, in case you didn't know for maybe our international listeners. So, Eastern State Penitentiary is also known as ESP, which I thought was really cool because it's, you know, ESP. It opened on October 25th, 1829, and was labeled the world's first true penitentiary. It was opened as a part of a controversial movement to change the behavior of inmates. The theory was if you could change the behavior by confining inmates to solitude and then adding in labor. So the term of the time was called confinement in solitude with labor. Prior to 1829, Philadelphia jail or prison system was a little weird. It was basically like a holding pen. So everybody was in the same place, regardless of age or type of crime it could be murder or it could be a stole a fucking apple yikes that's crazy in 1773 due to overcrowding at the philadelphia's old stone jail slash the high street jail the walnut street jail was built and um, they started taking in prisoners and it served as the city jail from 1773 to 1838 this jail was designed to hold everyone in large groups in like a large room so basically it'd be like on documentaries they were like it was basically like a glorified cattle pen yeah and again it didn't matter your age This particular jail was designed by Robert Smith, and it had a U-shaped design. This system cared little about the inmate's physical well-being or rehabilitation. So as you come to your time and then get the fuck out, if you get stabby stabbed on the way in or out, no one cares. Oof. 
The reason I wanted to talk about the Walnut Street Jail is because January 9th. So technically, this is like today's we're recording this on the 8th. So it's like many, many moons ago tomorrow. (laughs) Um, January 9th, 1793. The first manned balloon flight in the Western Hemisphere was done by Jean-Pierre Blanchard. And the balloon was launched from the prison yard. Hmm. And it had some very famous people in the audience. George Washington. VIP John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe. Wow, look at them. Right? The balloon flew from the jail yard to over the Delaware River and landed in uh, Deport Ford, New Jersey. And for you Hamilton fans, Hamil fans, (laughs) everything's legal in New Jersey. Tara needs to watch it. I know. I don't have time. I, I will make time. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. We should figure out a way to watch it together. I think Disney Plus does a watch party thing like Netflix does now. I mean, I will try really hard not to annoy you with my singing because I know all the songs because I listen to them all the time, but it's fine. Uh, It's fine. And there will be more references here in this episode to Hamilton. It's cool. Just know they're going to all go over my head. Other people will get it. So (laughs) the Walnut Street was supposed to be converted into a penitentiary in 1790, but there was like a political issue. Essentially, there was resistance from a jailer by the name of John Reynolds. Oh... I wonder if he's, like, the dude that, like, who, you know, um, Hamilton had the affair with his wife. Hmm. You're just going to have to call this the episode where Jessica focuses on his prison, but actually just talks about Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, he was saying that they couldn't convert it to the penitentiary format because there wasn't enough room. I mean, this was, like, one prison for or jail for the whole city. And if they made little solitary rooms, like, the room's... You couldn't make them small enough to actually be rooms (laughs) to put people in because there was too many people. So at the time, they converted one third of the prison space to be solitary confinement. And so that was about 16 cells that they could create. An important group came a few years before, which is the Philadelphia Society for the Alleviating of the Miseries of Public Prisons, which was founded by a man by the name of Dr. Benjamin Rush. Fun fact, Benjamin Franklin was actually a member of this society. Wow. And he was actually thought that the architect of this prison that we're going to talk about today thought about it at Benjamin Franklin's house. It's like all up in there in historical relevance, guys. For real? I had no idea. Right? Me either. I I was like, ooh. Right? (laughs) The group still exists today. It just has a new name, which is the Pennsylvania Prison Society. And basically their whole thing was to make sure that prisoners were not being like abused like they were. So about this time, we've gone from 1773, which is prior to the revolution, to after the revolution. The American prison system decided to go and have its own revolution as well. And it underwent renovation and they wanted to put in rational and humanistic principles of enlightenment in this period of time in America. So they wanted to basically, because the thing is, is like, I get that people are like, oh, they're in prison, but they're still people. I mean, I mean, unless we're talking like BTK, like who I can just say, I don't care what the fuck happens to that man. He was horrible. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like the people who like took Apple, like who yeah. stole food or did stuff that like, I know it's still a crime, but didn't hurt anybody. Right. Like, don't be mean. I don't care. Like, and here's the other thing. Like, I don't care. That, like the people who like get caught for pot. I'm like, let those fuckers go. Mm-hmm. I agree. They're just trying to be happy. Right. I mean, if you're selling like mounds and mounds, like kilos and kilos of Coke, I got issues with that because that's just not okay. Yeah. Be smart about our prison system. We need another reform. 
So this would actually mark the first prison reform of the United States. We've had several since then, and we're looking to kind of into another one soon. Up to the late 1790s, prisons in America were glorified holding pens for people awaiting their sentences. And like I said earlier, all ages, adults and children, lower crimes and murders. So if you were like an 11 year old who stole something and you got locked up, you would be locked up with a pedophile. Oh, that's horrible. Right. There was another thing that was happening in the prison system, and it was basically called jail fever. And it is typhus, which is a bacteria disease that spreads through lice and fleas. And it wasn't just affecting those in prison. Essentially, the jailers would get it and they would take it home and infect their families. But also, inmates would go to court and they would carry the disease with them and they would infect the people in the court. So lawyers, judges, jurors, watchers, just anyone around would get this and it would actually kill people. Like this one guy who was really into this whole reform, he went through all of these different prisons in Europe and Russia and he actually caught this and died from it. Oh, fuck. It was serious. It was because there were so many people in the jail. So it'd be like, hey, let's go to sleep, but I'm going to sleep like Mulan style. (laughs) If you've seen the new Mulan, you get it. They sleep like on mats near each other. Mm -hmm. But apparently they spoon. It's fine. Keeps you warm. Right. In 1790, they built the 16 sales at the Walnut Street Jail, and this began the experiment with the day and night solitude of confinement in the facility. After a while, um, this facility would no longer work as the facility was too small. So the Pennsylvania Society for Alleviating the Miseries of Public Persons, they lobbied, and along with the Pennsylvania legislature, they passed funds for a prison for 250 inmates, which was great. So the one really cool thing about, I mean, there's so many cool things about this. So a cool thing about this is that when they decided to pick an architect, they didn't do it like, hey, you're a really cool architect of the day. You should design our prison. They held a contest. I love that. I love that. The prize was for $100, which in today's money is just a little over $2,300. (laughs) <laughs> oh, damn. I, I was I was waiting for you to be like 23,000 or like 200 and something that like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Nope. Just just kidding. This is 2300. So they really came down to these two guys. One was named William Strickland and the other was named John Haviland. And John Haviland was a young British architect who was living in Philadelphia and they just really liked his design. So he won. But here's the thing. Even though he won at first, they were like, okay, we like your drawing, but you're not going to oversee construction. Bye bye. Oh, so here's your hundred dollars. Get the fuck out. All right. They actually hired William Strickland, who was his competitor. But then they were like, "Mm, we don't like you. So bye. So John actually was inspired because he was part of that prison society, was inspired at Benjamin Franklin's house for what the prison should look like. And the construction would begin in 1822. It was roughly between, I've heard some reports where they're like, it's two miles. And then I Googled it and it said eight miles. But now it's like in Philadelphia. So I think it was closer to two miles outside of the city limits. And it was built on a bit of land at the time that was known as Cherry Hill. The cornerstone was laid on May 22nd, 1823. So that's exciting. Yeah. The project would take 13 years to complete, but don't worry, they put people in this prison before. This was like one of those places where they were like, I think we could fit a little more in here. Let's do more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, another thing that Tara will not understand because she doesn't watch Hamilton. No. A fun fact is that the Marquise de Lafayette visited the construction site in 1826. So, you know, immigrants, they get the job done. 
So the original design for the building was going to be a seven cell blocks with 50 solitary cells per block, which at first I was like, wait a second. They said 250 and that's definitely 350. So they snuck some shit in, but that's okay. John would draw inspiration for this penitentiary from prisons and asylums in Britain that were built in the 1780s in England and Ireland. The style was a Gothic revival or neo-Gothic. What John wanted was that when you walked up to this prison, you were like, oh, fuck, I gotta go in there. I don't want to go in there. (laughs) Hey, makes sense. Right? They even did those, you know, those little like... I always call them like crossbow holes or arrow hole windows where like they would shoot arrows out of. He would do those like tall slender windows in there. Yeah, yeah. It was the most expensive prison ever built in total for the time. $770,000, which in today's time is $21,554,841.94. Fuck. See, that was a conversion I was looking for for the prize money. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Right? You're like, this seems... Yeah, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. The walls were 30 feet high and 8 feet thick. And it was 11 acres total within the walls. They were like half a mile is what it said around. The cells were built 8 foot by 12 feet. And then they were 10 feet high. It was basically laid out like there was one central place in the middle. And then all the cell blocks were like a hub and spoke. So think of like a bike wheel where like there's like the middle and then they all kind of like shoot off. This was so that they could control the population a lot easier because then they could just like monitor that one area and see all the rest. It was actually pretty high tech for the time. It had hot H2O heating or hot water heating. And what that meant is there were these pipes that zigzagged on the wall, like probably like three or four feet high, and they would pump hot water through it. So it would in turn heat up the room. Interesting. Okay. So they weren't into cold. It had a flushing toilet. Wow. And they would actually, each one of the toilets would be like its own septic system, essentially. I mean, kind of. Mm -hmm. The pipes did not connect like in I think in today's prison system, like toilets connect to one another and then they go out. Whereas this, they thought, hey, we don't want anyone talking to one another. So if we just make the pipe go all the way to the sewer, they can't talk because then they can't get that shit through the sewer. Yeah, it's like that show that's in Sacramento on Netflix. They talking through the toilets. Right. You couldn't do that here. (laughs) Also, each cell had a rectangular shaped opening in like the cell wall. So it wasn't in the door. It was like in the cell wall and they would pass food. Like they would put the food for the inmate through the hole and they would give them their work materials or craft materials through the hole. There was also a peephole where the guards could look in and see everything happening, but the prisoner could never see them. Because when I say solitary, they don't mean like open a window. Hi. No, none of that shit. Because they wanted to minimize the amount of communication between inmates. That's why they would do the whole like toilet system and everything like that. And honestly, it didn't really help because eventually the pipes wore down and they had to redo them and they just connected them because they were like, fuck, who cares? On April 23rd, 1829, legislation was passed that specified that the reform was now what needed to happen. And that was the whole, like, confinement and solitary with labor. It gave validation to the movement that they were building this very expensive prison for. On October 25th, 1829, even though construction was still going on, they accepted their first prisoner. Their first prisoner, his name is Charles Williams. He was in there for burglary, which he stole a $20 watch, which converts to today that watch would have been $560. 
He stole a $3 gold seal. I didn't do the conversion on that. And he stole a gold key. So like this guy knew what to take. Like at least he was a smart burglar. Like he didn't take like wooden nickels, which was a thing back then, guys. Then new inmates were brought in. Okay, so when they would bring you in, it was like no fucking joke. Like you would come in to the outside of the prison to the intake room. And then as soon as you were done with intake, they would put this like black hood over your face that basically had tiny little little holes for you to see so you didn't bump into shit that was right in front of you. And then they would lead you to your cell. When they put you in there, they put you in there. You didn't go anywhere. You stayed in your cell. The hood was used for a couple of reasons. It minimized conversation between cellmates in case like they had to take someone out for an infirmary or something like that. They wouldn't be able to see each other and talk. It also minimized the chance that they would know how to get the fuck out of that place. Because let's say you broke out of your, your cell. You'd be like, where do I go? And once you were in your cell, you were to remain silent because quiet reflection was how you were going to become reformed. The whole movement was basically like if you could reflect on the things that you did wrong and learned a skill and, you know, really put some thought into it, you would become a better human versus if you were just sitting in a group of other people dying of typhus. And the only communications that they would be allowed to talk to, they didn't talk to jailers or the guards or anything. They were only allowed to talk to vocational counselors or religious counselors. So if you needed to talk to a priest, you could talk to a priest. In 1831, the first female prisoners arrived. They also started building two-story buildings at this point in time. I feel like I skipped a little bit back in my notes, so I want to say it now. Each prison cell had a little yard attached to it outside. So essentially you would have your cell and then you'd walk out like a little door when they they let you out and you could go outside and it was covered from what I understand. And it was a little exercise yard. I think it may have had some windows so you could get some air. And when they would let people out, it would be like every other cell would be let out. So it's like you couldn't talk to the person next to you. And if you were like banging on the pipes, oh no, that fucked you up too because your pipe ran out of your cell into the hallway. So then the guards would be like, they could hear you banging on the pipe. Be like, knock it the fuck off, people. When this prison first started, most people were like horse thieves or small time burglars and things like that. By the time like this shit gets to like the 1900s, they're like all murderers. They're like, this is where the murderers go. My favorite story, (laughs) people did try to escape from this prison. Oh my gosh, yes. You guys are in for a treat. (laughs) Oh yeah. So I'm going to tell like the first fun story, but oh, I stopped a mid-sentence before we do that. Uh, So they started building a two-story building and you're like, well, how do they have an exercise yard attached outside? They didn't. So if you were on the second floor, you just had two cells essentially. Just put a door between cells. So it'd be the same concept. It's just that you wouldn't have like maybe like an outside breeze. So sucks to suck to be on the second floor. Right. Also, it'd suck to walk upstairs in that hut. Mm. So in 1832, the first inmate tried to escape. And he was what they call the warden's waiter. Because also, like, people had jobs outside in the prison. And, like, if you were outside in the prison, you didn't wear your hood if you were doing your work. So basically, like, he would feed, like, he would bring food and stuff to the warden. And he would, like, clean the warden's area. He basically was like a little butler. Well, one day, (laughs) while he was, like, doing his thing, he took the sheets off the warden's bed and made a rope out of it and then climbed down. And he was found five days later, and they put him back in, and then he did it again, and they caught him. And then five years later, he did it again, and he escaped for good. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Persistence, apparently. Right. I'm like, you've got to keep going. <laughs> so, okay. Now we're going to flash forward to 1911. And this is when they started building a new style of jail cells. They were three stories and they were concrete and they had 40 cells per floor. So you weren't going to have outside privileges. Two years later, though, they would end confinement with solitary because they realized it was fucking with people's brains. So basically, they were like, the system isn't working. People are becoming mentally ill because when I say that they put you in there and then you didn't talk to people, they fed you through a hole in the wall. A door opened and you walked outside and then you went back in and it shut. Nobody was like talking to you on a daily basis. So people were going crazy and they were developing things like mental illness, depression. They also had like permanent or semi-permanent changes to their brains, like physiologically, which also one of the things I didn't even think about. One of the big things that was happening there is people were having like existential crises and sometimes they would die like because of reasons like they would kill themselves or they would go crazy. The guards were like, that's not the case whatsoever. It is lovely here. And the reason these guys are going crazy was our favorite way that anyone goes crazy in the early or the late 1800s, early 1900s is masturbation. That masturbation caused insanity. I mean, fucking William Kellogg was like, let's start circumcision so that boys won't masturbate and then they won't be doing God's work if they're masturbating. Masturbation is a healthy part of your life, people. I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like if you're not having some sort of a release, you might go crazy. You might punch people. Right. Or you might murder somebody was what I was going to (laughs) say. Right. Also, like they were let out like one hour a day if weather was nice. So what the fuck are you supposed to do the rest of the time? Right. Exactly. Some of them had work duty. Others were doing like arts and crafts. So in 1913, they converted it to a traditional prison system where people were let out. They still had their solitary cells, but like people were let out. I think they even started changing the doors on some of the blocks. The original like seven spoke wheel thing, I think kind of stayed the same, but like the other buildings, they were converting to be more modern. In 1923, women were removed and sent to Muncie. Also, this is something I thought was so fucking weird. Say you were a woman in the prison because women went to this prison because there was like no real like chance of mingling up until this point. Let's say you were a woman and you entered pregnant and you gave birth. You were allowed to keep your baby for a while. Oh. And then when one of your fellow prisoners was released, she would take your baby till you got out. Interesting. So let's say you were like doing a five year sentence. You'd like give birth, probably have your baby for six months with you. And then, you know what, like four years later, like pick it up at a friend's house. I hope the family came in was like, that's our baby. Right? Oh, God, that's crazy. (laughs) We'd like to have our baby, please. (laughs) But they were like, here, lady. Oh, you're leaving? Here's your parting gift. It's a baby. (laughs) She's like, I did my time and I came out with a baby. Oh, God, totally not even the same. But it made me think of bridesmaids when they're giving out the puppies. (laughs) (laughs) But not, right? Because I'd be very excited if I got out of prison and they were like, here's a puppy. I'd be like, yay, a puppy. Right? (laughs) It'd <laughs> be like, oh, no, a baby? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> also, by the way, and the time it was being built and everything like that, and even after, it was a huge tourist attraction. People were like, I got to go see this prison. And I don't know what parts they walked around in or if they came inside or not. But in 1858, it had over 10,000 people visit it. And in 1842, author Charles Dickens went and visited it. 
look at them with more prestige happening. Yes. He said when he came over from England that there was two things he wanted to see in America. Niagara Falls and Eastern State Penitentiary. Wow. Like Niagara Falls is like, don't fucking lump me in with that, please. (laughs) They're like, stop it. (laughs) While he was there, he was actually allowed to like observe inmates and he actually got to interview them because they were like, oh, it's Charles Dickens. Like, of course. Well, he was like oh my God, this place is horrible. And he even said, the system is rigid, strict, and hopeless. And I believe in its effects to be cruel and wrong. And he basically wrote an article and was like talking about how bad it was. And then the prison was like, bullshit, listen to these wonderful inmates while they tell how happy they are here. And I'm like, you can't take their fucking word for it. You're the prison. Mm -hmm. But shortly after that, after the whole Dickens thing, they would bring teachers in to start educating people and to like alleviate that. So an under vocation. Now we're going to go back to 1923 to a man by the name of Leo Callahan. And he had five accomplices because he going to break the fuck out of prison. Basically, they had gotten a pistol from where? I don't know, because the guards didn't carry it. Because like, if you really think about it, if you were a guard in this prison and you walked down one of those like long hallways and you got jumped by a bunch of prisoners, you're not making it out with what weapon. So you didn't get a weapon. But in 1923, these people somehow got one and then they escaped. But most of them were caught pretty quickly. Except for Leo, he was never caught and he'd be like over 110 years old today. So like, I think the motherfucker died somewhere else. But all of the other five people were caught and one was caught as far away as Honolulu, Hawaii. That's impressive. Like, you shouldn't break out of jail, but damn, that's fucking far. (laughs) Right? Like, my whole thought is like, he had to travel across the country and then at the time, get on a boat. Right. And went there. Hawaii wasn't even a state yet. And he's like there. And can you just imagine like the police are like, hey, he's this fucking wanted asshole from Pennsylvania. How the hell did you get here? <laughs> this jail, just, this prison has so many weird things. So in 1924, the governor of Pennsylvania was a man by the name of Guilford. And I'm going to say this wrong. Don't at me. Pinchot? Pinchot? And on August 12th, he sentenced a dog by the name of Pep or as Pep, the cat murdering dog, to life in prison because it killed his wife's cat. And they were very fond of the cat. So Pep came into the prison. He was assigned a prisoner number. There's like a famous picture of him in the paper with a fucking like tag around his neck. It was prisoner number 2559. And he was like a prisoner and the dog was in prison. At first they thought this was, he thought it was funny. Like, ah, sentence my dog to life in prison in like Pennsylvania's most notorious prison of Eastern State. And then people were like, you're a jerk. We hate you. Not, they didn't say that, but they were like, "Uh uh-uh, no. So then he spun it and said, no, actually we ended up donating our dog to the prisoners there, it would boost morale. Talk about a PR spin. But he apparently, like, all the inmates loved him. Everyone took really good care of him. So I think Pep was better off without this asshole. Just saying. Right? There were riots. There was a riot in 1933. And then another riot in 1934. 1933, there was a fire involved. And they burned it down. Over the 142-year span of time, 100 inmates escaped. Now we're going to talk about my favorite escapee story. So one of the really like well-known or notorious people who went to this prison is a man by the name of Willie Sutton. And he was a bank robber and he was nicknamed the actor 
because most of the time he dressed up like a police officer and like go rob banks. But he ended up getting caught and he was spending time here. Well, he had a buddy in prison by the name of Clarence Kleindest. And he was like a shy guy. I think they may have been accomplices at one point in time too. Like they definitely knew each other. And Clarence was kind of a smart per. He was very shy, very quiet, but I think he was very fucking smart because he literally did the whole Shawshank Redemption where he dug a tunnel out, but he did it a little differently. So one of his jobs were in this prison was like after a while they would start in a lot of prisons, they help with construction, like building things around because it's cheap labor. He would go and he had a roommate. So his roommate and him were like, okay, let's dig a tunnel out because they basically converted the last room that used to be like a storage shed into a cell. And then they were digging their tunnel on the way out. So, but because he did the plaster on the wall, he left like an opening, which he like would mix plaster and Vaseline each morning and seal up and people wouldn't know. And the thing is, they said that like during the the 18 months that it took him to dig the tunnel out, his room had been checked like 16 times or some crazy amount. Like it had been checked so many times and they just like never noticed. So what would happen is once they were like in their rooms for the night, Clarence would go into the tunnel and they would like shut it. And then his roommate had sculpted a head that looked like him and put it in bed and then would carry on a two person conversation. So he'd be like talking to himself like, so Clarence, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Bob. How are you? Like they would talk back and forth. And this was like a thing. So the guards would come by and they'd see this head in the bed, but they wouldn't see like the guy talking, but they would hear them talking because they'd also keep their lights out. Oh. Oh my god. After a while, they like when lights would go out, out, they would open it up and then the roommate would help. And so the, the people next to them would keep a lookout. Basically, what ends up happening is that one night they break out and it was going, they were going to pop out between Fairmont Street and 22nd Street. They were like, okay, we got to do this tonight. We got to get out. But the roommate was like, dude, we can't leave them. Like the guys that are watching. So like, okay, we'll do it tomorrow morning, but we'll do it really quick. So first thing in the morning, when they open the cells and everyone's going out to do their their stuff, they all escaped. 12 people escaped. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. They were caught very, and Willie Sutton was like part of this. And he was like, oh my God, like if you guys are going, I'm going. So I'm in on this. And so they all escaped. And Willie Sutton is caught like within 15 minutes <laughs> because basically he's very famous. His face is known. Like they popped out in the morning. So there were like cops right outside the jail. Most people were caught, like everyone was caught except for one guy within like seven weeks to catch some of them. Two guys in the cell next door actually went all the way to like New York and were hanging out there and then they got caught. But there was one guy who broke out and he didn't know he wasn't from Philadelphia. So he didn't know anything and he didn't have money and his face was kind of known. So he didn't know what to do. So he was basically like living in the area around the prison and he was stealing like milk from doorsteps to survive. So he was just like, I hope he wasn't lactose intolerant because that'd be a huge problem for him. And then he would steal people's newspapers to like read about like what was happening. And then one day he just realized, you know what? Fuck this. And he just went back. Now, Clarence got caught and was brought back in. It took him 18 months to dig this tunnel. At the end of it, he had six months left on his sentence. 
Oh, my God. And when they caught him, they added 15 years. Damn. <laughs> so to say that he made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. So that's like my favorite breakout story because it was such a failure. And it was like, I think I feel that like maybe Shawshank Redemption was like, how do we do this better? Oh, I know. Not be stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> In 1953, uh, Eastern State Penitentiary becomes part of the State Correctional Institutes of Philadelphia. In 1961, John Klusenberg tricks a guard into opening another prisoner's cell. So basically, like, the prisoner in the cell was like, hey, I want to give him my guitar. And the guard was like, cool, and opens the door. And then the two men attack him. And then they start a riot. And basically, it was the largest riot that broke out. There was some deaths. There was some injuries. But, yeah. They said that these men were, like, really aggressive. (laughs) In prison? I mean, even more, but like sexually aggressive in prison. I don't know why I giggled. That was an odd moment. I'm sorry. But this one uh, like sociology guy, this one social worker, he was assigned to the prison. And basically, if people wanted to talk to him, he was a social worker. So he'd go talk to them. And this one guy on like the far end of the cell block was like, I want to talk to you. And the guy comes down and he's 22. So like, you know, fresh out of college, baby face boy, like I got my first big boy job, like, you know, all excited. And he walks down there and the guys, he's like, hey, I heard you want to talk to me. What's up? And he goes, hey, I'm going to fuck you. Oh, my God. And he was like, uh, no. And then, like, ran away. But then, like, everyone as he's running away is laughing at him because they know that this is what happened. So then he goes back and he talks to his boss. And his boss is like, look, you can't sit here and hide because then they're going to think you're, like, not a very nice word. Uh, But you have to go back. So he did. And then nobody messed with him again. Hmm. Like, the weird thing about it is a lot of these guys were, like, from the neighborhoods around the prison. So, like, guards worked there. And sometimes it'd be like, hey, this is my neighbor is in a jail sale. And one of them was like a guy, he told a guard, like, I'll break every bone in your body. Like, you don't know who I am. I'm from these streets. And the guard was like, I know who you are. I'm from these streets, too. I'll break every bone in your body twice. It's like, damn, guard. Damn. (laughs) So... In 1970, the prison would actually close and all the prisoners were sent to Garterford. It was a prison in Pennsylvania. At this point in time, the electrical and the mechanical side of the prison was like fucking horrible. But guess what? The paint was beautiful. In 1958, the city of Philadelphia did certify that the Eastern State Penitentiary was a historical property, so it was not going to be torn down. In 1994, they started giving historical tours, and they were given on a daily basis. And you would have to wear a hat and sign a waiver, and the very first year they did it, more than 10,000 people did that. It kind of reminds me of like when we did the Winchester house, we did like the extended tour and we had to wear the hat and like not sue if we passed out from water or like dehydration. <laughs> yeah, it was hot. It was hot. <laughs> In 2003, they added an audio tour to it. It is called The Voices of Eastern State Penitentiary, and it is narrated by Steve Buscemi. Oh, okay. So let's talk about famous people who were at, we talked about Willie Sutton, but there was other people like Al Capone. Yes. Alfonso Capone was there from 1929 to 1930. Um, He was arrested for carrying a concealed and deadly weapon. And this was his first time in prison. Mm. So basically, if you were a prisoner there, you could kind of decorate your room. And 
I mean, dude, he literally had like, they called it the Park Avenue block, his cell, because he had like fine Victorian furniture. Like they took out his fucking jail bed. He had like chairs and beautiful things. He had an oriental rug. He had a cabinet radio and he would sit in there and like listen to jazz. He basically just had like a little break from people. Pretty much, yeah. He's bougie as fuck, too. So, you know. Right? He was like, mm-hmm, this is my life. This is my house. Like, cause, And they didn't allow anyone to take a picture. But, like, a reporter came in and described it. And people were like, and he's in prison. Also to note, once they, like, opened it up from being, like, a solitary confinement prison they, and they were regular, like, a regular prison, they put, like, a baseball team together, like, two baseball teams, and they had, like, a football team, and they would have to tell the prisoners to stop being so loud because people on the outside could hear them and didn't they didn't want people to think on the outside the prisoners inside were having fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, no. Frida Frost was also in there. She was basically, she was one of the people transferred. At that time, she had been serving 20 years of her life sentence for poisoning her husband. Oh. Like I said, Willie Sutton or Slick Willie or the actor was in there. And in his career of being in prison, he escaped from prison successfully three times and served over 30 years behind bars. He died in 1980, but he did escape in that 1945 outing (laughs) i don't know if that's what you want to call it so that's fun those were some of the people who were convicted and were there since then they have like they've redone a lot of stuff there it's actually like the museum is kind of cool from what i can tell they do like art galleries and stuff in there you know they have like different tours and you can go in and see they've done a lot of restoration from like, I want to say about 1991 till now, they've just really kind of gone in and like systematically like cleaned up. So if you went in the early days, it probably looked a little bit more run down, but it is not as bad now. You may have seen it in some like TV and stuff. Tara's obviously going to talk about the paranormal stuff that happened there, but it was part of an episode of Cold Case. It was Most Haunted Live, which is one of those paranormal shows. It is, in the PlayStation 2 game, The Suffering, it is basically part of the game, which I thought was cool. In 1985, Tina Turner filmed her music video, One for the Living, in it, which I thought was fun. It's in the movie 12 Monkeys. It's in uh, Return to Paradise. And then in 2000, it's in Animal Factory, which was directed by Steve Buscemi. And that's why he got to do the whole thing, the audio thing. And the most recent one it was in was in Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. Gotcha. So that's kind of the weird history of it. It's been around forever. George Washington. I don't know. Actually, George Washington would never have seen it. But like the history of what brought it around started in right after post-revolutionary America. And there was the whole prison reform. And then, you know, I'm super excited that the Marquise de Lafayette went because I mean, I probably wouldn't have liked him in real life, probably, but I'm a big fan of Devad Diggs, so I gotta say that. Now I'm gonna hand it over to Tara, and she's gonna tell us about the spooky parts of this. Yes. Okay, obviously, (laughs) we had some uh, bad stuff going on there, because, you know, it's prison and everyone's just thrown together. So, bad juju equals fuck ton of ghosts all the time. We know this by now. We know this. So... I'm going to just do my honorable mentions, and uh, of course, you all know that I watch Ghost Adventures because they went there. And if you've seen this episode, y'all, can we just talk about that outfit for a fucking second? I sent Jessica a screenshot. (laughs) 
<laughs> she did. He is in all black denim, black denim pants, and his shirt is black denim, and it's tucked in. But of course, it's not just a plain black denim shirt. It's like got that crazy stuff on the back. It's like a buckle shirt or some shit, but it's like denim on denim in black. <laughs> in the early 2000s, Zach was like single-handedly keeping Buckle alive. Literally. And another way I know, like I can tell right away it's an early episode besides that is like he's not wearing his glasses like he does now. So I was like, oh, okay. I like him in glasses. I really do. No, I do too. I do too. I like the less buckle and the glasses look. I like it. I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Zach has matured Fashion-wise. Yeah, because this is like season two. It makes it a little easier to watch episodes. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, no, it was like season two, I think. So it was like early, early days. So Jessica mentioned Al Capone stayed here and uh, he had some paranormal activity during his stay. So while he was incarcerated, he would swear that he was being haunted. And the person he thought that was haunting him was this man named James Clark, who was actually one of the victims from the Valentine's Day Massacre. And we did cover that in like our early days. So you can check that out if you want to. You'll have to go way, way back. But we did cover it. And the guards would say that they could hear him saying, like, go away, leave me alone, and things like that. And they're like, oh, okay, he's just kind of going a little crazy being in there. He's having hallucinations, whatever. There's no ghosts, you know, that kind of stuff. But... What else was interesting when I was reading about this and stuff, people wonder if Al Capone's ghost has came back and hangs out there sometimes. So I was like, that's interesting because there is a lot of there is activity in his cell. So like I said, I watch Ghost Adventures, but I also watch BuzzFeed Unsolved because, you know, that's our other fave. So with Ghost Adventures, they're in there doing an interview with one of the dudes who works there or worked there as like a project manager or something. And they're in Al Capone's cell and they start hearing this like weird electrical clicking kind of noise. That's the only way I can really describe it. And they're all like, uh, James, Jimmy, is that you? And they're trying to like get more activity, but nothing really happens right here. But it's just really weird. But the real tea is with the BuzzFeed Unsolved guys. So... This is also an older episode. This was actually the first time, fun fact, that they used a spirit box was at this prison. Oh, they love themselves a spirit box. Yeah, they do now. So they get all they get all set up in there. And Ryan, of course, is like trying to go the spirit and he's calling him Scarface and whatnot. And we hear through the box, the box says, shut up. <laughs> Al Capone just flew by for that moment. Like, shut up. Like, get the fuck out. <laughs> and they're like, oh, shit. Okay. He must not like that. And then they're, you know, they're saying random things and questions. And then it, the box literally says both of their names. And so fucking Shane is like, uh, I don't like that. I don't like that. What the fuck? And then jokingly, Ryan's like, oh, if you're so smart, tell me what color my jacket is that I'm wearing. And Ghost gets it right. He, the ghost says brown and white. And they're like, Okay, we're we're good. We're good. This is enough. <laughs> I mean, it might be Al Capone. He very much liked fashion. He was very into it. Yeah. So whether it was him or not, though, this showed them that this was an intelligent spirit there, not a residual one, because that is a thought since it was a prison, that kind of thing, if it's a residual haunts with a lot of these. Right. But because this one interacted and, you know, seems a bit sassy, makes me think it is an intelligent spirit. And then also another phrase they picked up when they were in there is look at these two and i was like ooh ghost ooh ghost he's trying to trying to sass trying to sass them <laughs> 
I'm like, oh, God. And another haunt that is talked about quite a bit in this place involves the prison's locksmith, Gary Johnson. I came across this in like every almost every article I read. So basically, this was back in the early 90s when they were, you know, restoring the prison to open up, like Jessica mentioned, as the attraction, right? So he was in cell block four at the time because he was going through and changing all the locks. Well, at this particular moment, he was working to remove a 140-year-old lock from the cell door. And he says a massive force overcame him so powerfully he was unable to move. And that he experienced an out-of-body state and he was drawn towards the negative energy that just came bursting through the cell. On top of that, he said he saw anguished faces appear on the cell wall, hundreds of distorted forms swirling around him. And then there was like one prominent apparition out of all of them that was like trying to like get him to come to him, like beckoning him or trying to at least. And he said when he saw that, he said he felt like it wanted to kill him. Oh, damn. It's like a malicious one. It's like, no, I'm going to take you out, dude. Right? So obviously, this is something that still terrifies him to this day because, yeah, that scared the fuck out of me too, people. And he's also been noted when talking about this, he believes it was the spirit of a particular inmate named Joseph Taylor. So Joseph Taylor was convinced that the guards were trying to poison him during uh, his incarceration in 1884. So what does this dude do? He decides it'd be a great idea to bludgeon one of the guards to death. His name was Michael Duran. And he did this like in courtyard or whatever he did. He got he got out and did it. And then after he killed this guy, he calmly goes back into his cell and he took a nap. I mean, it takes a lot to kill people, guys. He needed to regenerate. <laughs> apparently, apparently. And he isn't the only one. Gary wasn't the only person to see things in cell block four. Many people have reported hearing footsteps, wails, whispers, and seeing an apparition of a guard in one of the towers. And one of the people interviewed by Zach, her name is Catherine, she had an experience in the cell block as well, saying that she had an overwhelming sad feeling. And when he was interviewing her, like she was getting emotional again. She's like, oh God, it's like flooding back to her kind of thing. And she said the first thing that happened was the group she was with, they were talking about going to have lunch because they were getting hungry. And they just hear this voice go, hmm, really loudly, like a male voice. And they're like, what the fuck? They're like, okay, that's creepy. And pretty much like a common theme with these apparitions is they're like shadow figure type of things. And I wasn't able to watch it, but I read a little bit about it. And then the BuzzFeed guys mentioned that in Ghost Hunters, they actually witnessed a fucking apparition running at them. No, no, no. Goodbye. I would be leaving. No, thank you. And uh, cell block 12 is also a fun place to be. So Catherine had an experience here too. And uh, let's just say the ghost got a little handsy. One smacked her butt. Oh. Yeah. So that goes back into like you saying how they're all like sexually charged, basically. Like I was like, oh, that (laughs) makes sense. (laughs) They were a little predatory. Like... Yeah. And this this happened in like the shower area. So it makes sense. Right. 
And also in cell block 12, there's reports of footsteps again, cackling, disembodied voices, and sometimes the voices are said to sound like a woman, but those familiar with that like are there a lot or have heard this themselves like, you know, all the time type of thing, they said that it sounds kind of more just like a higher pitched male's voice in pain pretty much versus like they think it's still a male inmate versus a female type of spirit. And apparently these ghosts don't reserve their activity just for the nighttime. They'll do it in the daytime, too. So, you know, you think, oh, I'll be safer if I go in the daytime. Nope. If it still wants to show you itself, it will. And while the Ghost Adventures team is in cell block 12, they get like a lot of activity. So first things first, Aaron gets a fucking chuckle because (laughs) they find this chair that they would strap inmates into, you know, and leave them there or whatever. So, of course, Zach's like, I'm going to go sit in it and be handcuffed or what the fuck ever kind of cuff things they had. And it's dark as fuck. And they just got like their little flashlights and stuff. And so there's this pole in the doorway, like going across it. And he tries to go under it, but he misjudges it. And he like hits the fuck out of his back. So he's like, oh God, fuck, fuck. And no, but it's funny though, because Aaron's cracking the fuck up. Aaron's like dying. And I'm like, oh, Aaron. All the scary places you get put into, it might be because you left at Zach right now. <laughs> oh, it's like, that's what happened. Like, Zach held a grudge forever. Oh, yeah. And Nick's with them, too, because this, like I said, early episode, and he's laughing, too. And they're just like, oh, God. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going under the pole. I'll step over it. <laughs> So it's just kind of funny. So they get Zach in the chair and as soon as they get him strapped in there, there's tons of like banging, weird noises, voices, tapping, all kinds of creepy shit. And actually, so like Aaron's kind of hanging out with him in there and then like Nick is staying in the hallway to like monitor that area. Mm -hmm. And a fucking cell door down the hall just like opens by itself and you hear all these fucking creepy ass scratching noises. Mm-mm. Yeah. And Zach's like, oh, God, that sounds like they're trying to scratch out of there, basically. And he's like, you know, he's talking to them and he's doing what he does. He's like, come get me like, blah, blah, blah. I'm not scared, whatever, you know. And it's just like a lot of like scary stuff happening, like scary noises and stuff. And a uh, fun side story for a sec. So I was watching this today in our time today before we were recording. And I was in my office while my daughter was on a Zoom call for school. And I hear this weird fucking low groaning sound. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's my office fucking goes again. But because if you're not in the Facebook group, let me explain real quick. My office door likes to open by itself. And uh, yeah, I post about it in the group anyway. But no, thank God it was not. Um, I was about to like get the fuck up and leave my like run out of my office. I'm not even joking. I look and it's it's Scout. He was just being his old man self groaning and trying to sit down. But it didn't <laughs> even sound like him. <laughs> He's like. Oh, I'm so old and I just want to sit down without it hurting. And then you're like, ghost, are you okay? <laughs> Love it so much. I know. It didn't sound like him, but I thought you guys would think that was funny. So I had to tell you guys. I had to tell you guys. I do. <sighs> yeah. Because he's my buddy. He hangs out. All the dogs will hang out in my office, but him especially. So. Aw. He's a good boy. Yeah. He is. He's a grumpy old man, but he's a good boy. All right. So Ghost Adventures. You know, obviously when they do their investigations, like they'll take pictures, they'll take stills and stuff. So that night they took 289 infrared pictures. And there's this one of that tower I mentioned. And there's like this weird bright light and mist coming out of it. But they tried to like double check and see if they could debunk it. But there was like no lights, 
nothing reflective, so it's just really, really weird. Hmm. Yeah. They also cut to the guys splitting up per huge, and um, an entity is basically fucking with Aaron. It's like all these like really loud footsteps, and it's like right behind him and stuff, and he's fucking terrified. You know, normal Aaron things. Normal Aaron things. <laughs> Uh, he's always getting so scared. Yeah, Aaron is fucked with all of the time. Literally. And the uh, BuzzFeed Unsolved guys also tell us about an inmate whose name was Joseph Havel, and he would end up stabbing his cellmate, George Cop, to death with a pair of scissors. And this area or this cell is another one that's like a hot spot. So when they're in there with the spirit box, they hear, oh boy, get out. It wasn't very as nice as I said it, but like, I'm sorry. If a ghost is telling me to get the fuck out, I'm going to get the fuck out. Just saying. I will comply, sir. Yes, right. So many people have had experiences. And it's like, if you really want to read about it, definitely go like look up the TripAdvisor on it. You'll see plenty of stuff. Now, with all of their stuff, obviously with COVID guidelines right now, I'm not sure on the specifics. But normally they have a Halloween attraction. It's called the Terror Behind the Walls. And it is said to be one of the largest and top rated haunted attractions in the whole country. So that's pretty damn cool. Which I mean, you know, the prison's pretty big. So like, I'm not surprised, but that's really cool that they have that. On top of this, they also like, you know, it's a museum and stuff now. So you can do regular tours and you can do ghost tours as well. Currently, they do have a virtual option on their website. Oh. Yeah. So that's always fun. I've noticed that as we've been in this pandemic, that a lot of these places are putting up virtual resources and stuff for us. I think about a lot like right now because so many places are closed that have had like haunted backstories. Like all that energy is just like renewing and renewing and renewing. And then we're going to come back into them and the entities are going to be like, who the fuck are you? Get the fuck out. Right? Okay, so they have, let me tell you, so this is really cool now that I'm, I didn't click on this earlier because I was like, oh, I want to wait. So I'm going to go through their virtual group tours. And if we got any teachers, I will say that. Pay attention because this might be a cool idea for you guys. I don't know if it applies. So their website says that groups can now virtually partake in Eastern State Penitentiary's award-winning guided tour program. These are live, interactive, discussion-based experiences that are perfect for all groups who want a remote, private, and unique experience. Facilitated by an expert historic site educator, groups can choose one of the following programs. So they have some different ones for, uh, there's two different ones for virtual classrooms. There's Defining Justice, Past and Present. This is for grades 4 through 12. And their description says, what does justice mean to you? Through social and emotional inquiry-based learning, elementary through high school students explore prisons, past and present, and the role they play in society. And that's pretty cool. And that's about an hour long. And then the other one kind of dives into the other side of the history part that Jessica went with. So it says, delve deeper into the rich history and contemporary relevance of Eastern State by exploring a specific topic. And there's a 30 minutes of guided instruction followed by a 15 minute activity stuff you can find at home. And there's like all kinds of cool stuff. It says Eastern State 101, like 101, music, food, all kinds of stuff. And that's 45 minutes. So that's cool. But then they have stuff. So like you're not a teacher or whatever, or, you know, you're an adult and you just want to do a virtual group thing. They have two different options for that as well. The first one is Eastern State and Prisons Today. 
It says, Eastern States history matters today more than ever. This in-depth virtual group tour explores the history and experiences of men, women, and children who lived and worked behind the walls. This program sets the stage for conversations about criminal justice reform today. I mean, you just got that from Jessica, but I mean, if you would like to have a visual with them, you know, there's that. And then this one seems interesting. The other option is organized crime prohibition era. So that's pretty cool. Ooh. Yes. So they like dive into that. And I think that's really interesting. They have like a screenshot in here. It looks like it's through Zoom and it says the details in case y'all are interested. You're, you can have up to 50 people in your group for this. And it's Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. They can make adjustments for the time if needed for an additional fee. And it says, you know, fourth graders and up. And yes, it is on Zoom. And basically, if you are a part of a Philly public or charter school, this is free for you. So that's cool. For any other schools or youth groups, it's 150. But if you think about it, if you do have like a couple class, like two classes of kids, because like what most classes have like 25 kids, like that's not bad if you split it, you know, with another teacher or something. And then it's 200 for college or adult groups. So I mean, you know, I'll go in on it, what have you. And then it says like has little asterisks like other schools may qualify. So I'm wondering if like other Pennsylvania schools, maybe they probably would qualify. So I think that's pretty cool. Well, even like the 200, like it says you can have up what to 50 people. Yeah. That's like four bucks a person, right? Like if I'm doing math correctly. Something like that. Yeah. The more you get, the cheaper it is. So it's definitely interesting. So super cool. But yeah, like the ghost tours, like you can, you know, do all of that and stuff once they are open because, yeah, their website says they are temporarily closed. But I think it would be super fun and super interesting to go do that because they have when it's non-COVID, obviously, daytime prison tours, nighttime tours, and then, you know, like all the ghosty stuff. So super cool and all of that. So I definitely think if you are in that area, once they're available, you should definitely check it out if you haven't. If you have been there, we would love to hear how that experience was for you guys because like we sometimes get listener stories on people have been to places we've talked about. So they're always fun to read. So yeah, definitely let us know there. But yeah, that's all I got for our ghosties and visiting the actual prison. I really enjoyed this. It was very like history for me, which I read a bunch of stuff that I didn't share because it was more about like the prison reform system or the reforming of prison systems in Philadelphia in the early 1800s, which my father-in-law at Christmas was like, why are you reading this? And I'm like, (laughs) why not? But anyway, that's going to wrap us up here for today. And we will see you on Thursday for a stabby. Bye, guys. Bye.